If you have a Bible, you can open to John 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're starting that this morning. We'll look at the first 21 verses. Actually, it's quite a bit to look at. We're not going to be able to cover just every phrase that's going on in this, um, but it all sort of works together, these first 21 verses of John chapter 10. So uh, the text is printed in the bulletin for you. There's some Bibles available in the back if you need one. Uh, there's a commentator. So I reference commentators all the time, and maybe that's just a foreign word to some of you. It's somebody who um, either teaches in a seminary or probably is a pastor or has had pastoral experience, familiar with the scriptures, really study it, scholarly type people who write down what um, uh, what the scriptures mean for us. So uh, they're, thanks very much. they're giving an interpretation of... Um, of the scriptures. And then, so there are a lot of commentaries on John's gospel. If you go to our website, you can probably find uh, some of the recommended ones that we've been going through, or just stick around for a while and you'll hear the same names pop up over and over again. But one of them is uh, Frederick Bruner, and he has a, a good commentary on John's gospel. He tells a story regarding this passage, uh, and it's a story about somebody who visited uh, Israel sometime, in, it's like modern times, about 100 years ago, something like that. Um, so, so still the kind of thing you'd probably find there if you went there now. Uh, this, this fellow was maybe traveling with or visiting some shepherds, and uh, these, these shepherds, they all had their flocks, and they had their tents pitched in a circle. He said there were maybe 10 or 12 tents in a pretty big circle, and then at, uh, at evening time, so for the night, they would bring their sheep into the middle of the circle. All of the all the shepherds would bring all their flocks into the middle of this circle, so they're a little bit protected while... Everybody's sleeping um, at night. And so in the morning, you can imagine, I don't know how many sheep we're talking about, probably several hundred uh, sheep. In the morning, um, instead of going through the flocks and finding the ones with the tags or the bells or whatever it is, however, you know, you would know your sheep uh, from the others uh, the way that we assume you would know your sheep from the other sheep. Instead of sifting through them, um, each shepherd went outside the circle in sort of a different uh, direction and just issued his particular call. Uh, maybe that's using his actual voice. Maybe it's using a little flute or something to play a familiar song. Each one uh, would issue his call from his direction, and in five minutes, the flocks had all gathered to their respective shepherds. Right? That's, a, that's a normal experience for shepherds uh, who are working together and have different flocks. Um, and so Frederick Bruner, as he tells his story, he says, each flock of sheep is apparently attuned to a very particular and unique to itself voice or sound. And Jesus is playing on that theme throughout this sermon. Um, so many times, many times in the scriptures, we see that God's people are called his sheep. They're called his flock. With, uh, with leaders who are in positions of authority among God's people being called shepherds, shepherds of God's people. And the analogy often calls attention to the negative tendency for sheep to wander, to stray, and, and get lost. Right? They need to be brought back into the fold pretty frequently. But in our passage this morning in his sermon, uh, is what this is, Jesus is continuing a sermon that he began in the last chapter, um, Jesus is highlighting the positive aspect, the, the special connection that exists between him and his people, between God and God's sheep or God's flock. Uh, there's a unique mutual recognition 
between Jesus and his people. And there's good leadership on his part, and there's responsiveness on the part of his people. And all of this, it is set in contrast uh, to the corrupt, um, damaging, destructive, divisive leadership of those supposed shepherds, the religious authorities in Jerusalem at that time, but the focus really is on the, the beautiful pastoral scene, the relationship, the pastoral relationship between Christ and his people that uh, clearly sets forth for us what it means to be the church, to be the church, to be God's people in the world. So Jesus is the good shepherd. That's what we're talking about this morning, and that's good news. That's wonderful news for us. So uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask you for your help. You've helped us in many ways. You've sent your son into the world for us to reveal yourself to us, to live for us and to be our redemption, to be our path back to you. We pray um, that you would now send your spirit into our hearts and help us to understand Jesus' words. Help us to respond to the good shepherd now as we consider your word and his word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger... They will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So we spent 
four weeks in John chapter 9. Maybe it felt like longer to you. Maybe you were hoping that we had emerged from the story and could leave it behind. Uh, The story of the blind man in uh, chapter 9. We're ready to move on and cover all new ground here in chapter 10. Well, I mentioned last week, um, this is the same occasion. This is a continuation of the same conversation that began in chapter 9. It's a sermon that arises directly from the events that are recorded in chapter 9. Just a brief reminder, chapter and verse divisions were not original to the scriptures. When the the prophets and the apostles were writing them, they didn't write them with the, the chapter and verse numbers. They were inserted much later to help people find stuff more easily, you know, to have reference points to be able to find and communicate. This is in John chapter 10. Okay, I know where to flip now. But sometimes these chapter and verse divisions actually obscure the connections uh, that exist between passages like this. There's some kind of mental break that happens when we see those big, bold letters or numbers. You know, chapter 10, new subject, well, no. Uh, So just keep that in mind as you're doing your own personal reading and as you're doing your own personal study. So here we have a, a couple of clues, actually, that these paragraphs are linked, that chapter 10 just continues on with what Jesus has, has just been saying. Um, there are no introductory words. There's really no break. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing that would indicate to us that a transi- transition is taking place. There's not even a, and Jesus said, right? It's just a continuation of the flow of thought. And the phrase that he uses at the beginning there uh, in, in the first verse and also in verse 7, the phrase that he uses, truly, truly, I say to you, in John's gospel, I had, um, I think, again, it was Frederick Bruner, the commentator, who pointed this out to me. Uh, it, it's always used by Jesus to summarize or explain what he's just been talking about. So um, it's sort of like a, you know, therefore, right? Somebody says, therefore, well, you, you got to kind of back up and see what they were saying before to understand the whole context of the conversation. That's what he's doing now. He's explaining and clarifying uh, what he has been talking about and how he has been interacting with people before. So instead of seeing these as disjointed events that are somehow randomly mashed together by John as an editor, uh, we can assume that there's a thematic link and it really will help our interpretation. So sorry, that's a lot of uh, upfront introductory stuff. Let me summarize where we are then to this point in John's gospel. Chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man and he healed him on the Sabbath. And Jesus' enemies who are the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the the people in Jerusalem who have some sort of social and religious power among the Jews, his enemies didn't like the fact that he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. That was a no-no, no-no for them. And they were being unreasonable about that. They were being illogical about that. Uh, That's pretty clear from the account that that we have recorded for us. They abused their power. They used it to intimidate others into siding with them against Jesus. And when the man who had been blind, whom Jesus healed, when when he defended Jesus reasonably and logically, in what seemed to the religious leaders to be a defiance of their authority then they used their power against him and they threw him out of the synagogue and basically got everybody in the community to shun that guy. They didn't get their way. They didn't get out of this guy what they wanted. They sensed their way of life and their position of authority being threatened. 
So they destroyed his life. It's basically what it would have been like to be cast out of the synagogue back then. They destroyed his life. They were the teachers. They were the authoritative leaders of God's people, and they used their power, they used their authority to benefit themselves at the expense of those who were under their charge rather than living for the spiritual benefit and the flourishing of those who were under their charge. They should have been concerned to, as we see in the scriptures several places, to feed God's sheep. But instead they were devouring and using and abusing and, and leaving out to be destroyed God's sheep that were under their care. They, they should have been concerned to connect people to God and look, here he is in the flesh, Jesus, he's God come to be with us, but instead of connecting people to God, they were actively trying to steal God's sheep for themselves away from God. Right? You've got to choose sides here. It's us or Jesus. And they wanted people to be on our side. And they used their power against those who sided with Jesus. They're the evil shepherds that we heard about in Ezekiel 34, the Old Testament reading. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers, looking to plunder the flock because they're not Christ-centered. That's what it boils down to. These, these shepherds, these authoritative religious figures in Jerusalem, they're not Christ-centered. And so that made them strangers, actually, to God's people. That made them not part of the flock themselves, and they were looking to engage with God's people while maintaining distance from Christ, from the one true shepherd. Good shepherds, on the other hand, good leaders of God's people who care for the flock, who feed his sheep, they come in the name of Christ. Uh, They come with the message of Christ. They come by faith in Christ. They come as much as possible uh, reflecting Christ himself. That's what good leaders do. And Christ's people, the church, will respond to that kind of shepherd. That's what Jesus is saying there in the first paragraph. But that there will be a disconnect when false shepherds try to do a runaround and come, come to God's people in any way other than through Christ and in Christ and with Christ. When false shepherds teach and lead, there's a disconnect between that guy and God's people, <clears throat> right? Because of the Holy Spirit, we will learn a little bit more as John's gospel goes along, and you, you learn in the New Testament, because of the Holy Spirit, Christ's people have some sort of spiritual instinct, some sort of spiritual instinct that they might not be able to articulate exactly what's happening and why, but they can recognize God's truth as distinct from heresy. They can recognize when a shepherd brings them God's word in Christ, Christ Christ-centered word, as opposed to the strange teachings of illegitimate would-be shepherds who are just maneuvering and manipulating for selfish reasons. God's people can tell a difference. Even if they can't really articulate and put it into words what all this means, they they can tell a difference. They have a spiritual instinct for it given by the Holy Spirit. So Christians can hear the difference between a good Christ centered shepherd and, say, a prosperity gospel preacher looking to get rich off the flock, looking to fleece the sheep. 
the guy on TV. You can hear the difference. Christians can hear the difference between Christ-centered shepherds and, and those who, they just wield guilt and fear to make themselves someone who's very important or someone who's looking to impress other people with their knowledge or their rhetoric or a legalist who just motivates you to try harder to be better because that's how you get right with God or an antinomian, someone who's a you know, some licentious person who dis- disregards God's law entirely, who just tells you what you want to hear, speaks to itching ears. There's a difference between good Christ-centered shepherds and those, and Christians can detect the difference. <clears throat> now, it's kind of funny because Jesus just got a bunch of blank stares here when he said that, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand <laughs> what he was saying to them. They're not they're not recognizing his voice. What Jesus says doesn't make sense to his enemies. His enemies can never make sense of, of Jesus. There's that fundamental disconnect between the light and the darkness, the language that Jesus uses in John's Gospel especially, mainly because in their sinful self-protection, they, they don't want to hear what he's saying. They don't want to understand what he's saying. The ramifications are too big of a threat. I mean, who wants to hear Jesus say, you're acting like one of God's enemies? Especially when all along they're trying to convince themselves and others, no, no, we're, we're the real good ones here. We're on God's side. <clears throat> so Jesus continues and he reiterates and he explains and he clarifies and he ends up <clears throat> shifting the metaphor little bit to move, uh, to, to move toward language where he's not the door of the sheep, <clears throat> he's the, the shepherd of the sheep, and that stands more directly in contrast with these false shepherds, with the religious leaders, the people who were um, basically leeches on God's people. <clears throat> he says in verse 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying that he's, he's really the only leader who cares for his flock, who cares for God's people in such a way that he is willing to give his very life for their safety and for their flourishing, for their relationship with God. He's the only leader who can do that, and he's the only one who wants to do that. Uh, He says in verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus, he he isn't just um, complaining. This isn't just a rant about the bad state of church leadership. Um, the bad, the, you know, the false shepherds. He's not just lamenting the state of the church and condemning those who were responsible. It's not, it's not the substance of what he's saying. Jesus is talking about really the essence of what it means for him to be the good shepherd, the only one, the good one. Um, and that is that he has a relationship of love with his people. 
There's a real connection. It's special and unique. He has a relationship that's characterized by profound mutual knowledge. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. There's a real relationship. That word knowledge in the scriptures, when you know someone, it's, it's pretty intimate, right? I've said this a lot of times, but uh, so many times in the Old Testament, that language is used of a, a husband knowing his wife on their wedding night, right? So it's intimate, it's close, it's personal, and that's what characterizes Christ's relationship with his people, this deep mutual knowledge. It's the same kind of intimacy, actually. It's the same kind of closeness that is shared among the very persons of the Trinity, between the Father and the Son himself. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's the heart of the gospel. That's the nature of what it means for him to be the good shepherd to us. This is, this is the good news. Jesus Christ has a perfect relationship with the Father. He knows the Father, and the Father knows him in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And this relationship, this relationship is the reason why anything exists at all. That's why there is such a thing as the world and the cosmos and the creation, because God is who he is. He's the God of perfect relationship, perfect love, per- perfect intimacy and mutual knowledge, Father and Son knowing each other in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and that's the reason for life in the world. That's the source of all life in the world, and it's the very thing Jesus came into the world to bring us, to reestablish with us. We've wrenched ourselves out of that relationship, but he wants to bring it to us a, a relationship with himself of the same kind that he has with the Father. Now, that's unity. That's unity. We share, as Christ's flock, as Christ's sheep, we share mutual, personal, relational knowledge with Jesus just as, he says, he shares that that kind of knowledge with the Father because Jesus laid down his life for us to bring us into that relationship. That's what it means for him to be the good shepherd who ushers us into real life, real life, real union with God. It's the gift of life that comes because of his complete and gracious self-gift. And with Jesus, even though this relationship is exclusive in one sense, it's unique, and really you only have this relationship if you're part of the church, one of his people, one of his sheep, part of the flock. Even though it's exclusive in one sense, it's something that he he shares it only with his flock. It is perhaps shockingly inclusive of all kinds of people in the world. Jesus says, he continues right on to say, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so he's talking to the Jews. He's probably in the vicinity of the temple, if not in sort of the outer courts of the temple. He's talking to the Jews really thought pretty highly of themselves as the special privileged people. They thought they alone were the special privileged people of God. He's talking to the Jews about the Gentiles, the people who don't fit their categories. They don't belong, right? Uh, My grandfather had a a bit of a flair for the dramatic sometimes, Uh, talk about some sensational stuff sometimes, and he took me aside real serious. One time I remember and uh, told, me, told me this verse, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
could he be talking about aliens? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, aliens and strangers, right? Gentiles, nations, coastlands, outliers, Arabs and Africans and Asians and Latinos and the barbarians in the north, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Even Americans in the Pacific Northwest at the ends of the earth as we are. Um, Isaiah chapter 56 says, <clears throat> the foreigners, so not the Hebrews, not the Israelites, the foreigners, who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So Jesus isn't just gathering outcasts of Israel like the man who had been blind after the false shepherds had discarded him, kicked him out, and Jesus went and found him and brought him back in to a relationship with God. He's not just going after them. He's going after the real undesirables because they're pagans and there's atheists out there who, when they hear his voice, they're going to listen to him and they're going to follow him. And they're going to become full communing members in his one church. And Jesus is interested in, in that kind of unity. He's interested in displaying the very unity that exists, that has always eternally existed between the Father and the Son. He's interested in displaying that in the unity of the church as all kinds of people are gathered together in one flock. And there's more on that later in John 17. How does he do it? How does Jesus do it? How does he gather people together? How does he bring this unity? How, do, how does the good shepherd gather his one flock together? How does he establish unity where there was only hostility before between people? There's, there's real hostility that needs to be overcome in our relationships. How does he bring near those who were far apart? How does he break down the ethnic barriers? How does he break down the cultural barriers? How does he make one people out of Jews, Greeks, barbarians, free, and slaves. He does it by incorporating them into himself and restoring their relationship to God through his own relationship to God by uniting them in one spirit by his sacrifice of love. There's a lot of language here from Ephesians. We had a series on that, uh, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago. Um, Ephesians is the book to read on that. This is what Jesus is able to do because he is the good shepherd. Jesus is able to bring us together because he is the head, he's the leader, he's the one with true power and authority, and this is the nature of it. He continues to say, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. That's, that's the nature of true authority. When Jesus gives up his life for
for his people to reconcile them to God, that's real power. That's real leadership. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. False shepherds use their counterfeit authority. And it's not just shepherds. It's not just people who are religious leaders. It's all kinds of leaders in the world, leaders over all kinds of groups of people. False shepherds use their counterfeit authority to bend others, to break others, to serve their own will. Jesus says that's stealing, killing, and destroying in order to advance myself. But this is the true nature of Jesus' authority. It's sacrificial love. It's service. It's the complete and free self-gift that we see, especially at the cross, where he poured out his life for us. And we see it in the resurrection, the power to conquer death itself, to conquer the idea of separation from God. To conquer death itself in his resurrection life, that's real power. And because of his willingness, because of his complete self-control to give up his life and to take it up again, because of his sacrifice and his freedom to love, the Father loves him, and the Father loves all those who are in him by faith. The whole thing was the Father's idea. That's what he says. Jesus exercised his Father's authority perfectly just as he was charged. This was a charge that he received from his Father to go and do this, and he did it. His beautiful relationship with the Father is now ours as a gift. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father, that kind of union, that kind of perfect communion, the blessed communion, the joyful communion in the Holy Spirit, um, that's ours as a gift vicariously as we live by faith in Christ. And that's the abundant life that he came to give. That relationship with God, that is what real life is. That's a life you can have, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can have abundant life because Jesus came to give you a relationship with God that will last forever. That's the safety and that's the good pasture that the good shepherd leads us to. The ESV study Bible says that Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. So this life that we have together, this life that we have with God together, it's ours because Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. And these are sheep from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. The Bible makes a pretty big deal about that. And that's where our profound unity comes from in the church. We're one church because we have one shepherd and one way of relating to God and being restored to that relationship. It comes from being the one flock who, of the shepherd who knows his sheep and saves them and causes them to thrive spiritually. Jesus Christ himself, in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, he is our unity. He is our peace. He is himself our peace, Paul says in Ephesians. In a different sense, he also brings division. He brings division as people either respond to him with a yes or a no, with trust or with suspicion. They hear his voice and they follow him, or they flee from him, or they ignore him. There was again a division, it says in verse 19, a division 
among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why are you listening to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the good shepherd, Jesus, he calls to his flock. And in the midst of the world, as his call goes out, even in the middle of other flocks, other groups, other religions, plagued by false shepherds who abuse them and lead them astray from the one true, true God, his people's ears perk up. And they recognize his voice in the gospel, and they say yes to Jesus, and they follow him through all their lives. And it's never our goal to drive people away by the proclamation of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is explicitly unity. And that's the effect the gospel has had in the church. But we shouldn't be surprised that not everyone is interested in the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about here the kind of unity with God in the church that Jesus came to bring. He calls you in his scriptures and through good shepherds, right? Shepherds and leaders in the church who are Christ-centered, who are faithful to the scriptures. He beckons you to come and know him and come and know God through him because that's the abundant eternal life that he came to bring. Jesus Christ is your good shepherd. So you should listen to his voice and follow him. Let me close um, by reading this. It's at the front of the bulletin there, the 5th century uh, St. Patrick. It's a familiar name, uh, patron saint of uh, drunken brawling. and um, uh, It's a joke, sorry. Uh, He's a good guy. (laughs) Um, St. Patrick's breastplate is part of a larger sort of a prayer or a declaration. And, um, and by God's grace, we can take it as a testimony of what we believe, of the, the reality of Jesus being with us as our good shepherd. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lay down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. Let's pray together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we thank you that this is true because of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.